Hey, I'm Maria. I work at a labor union by day and write and watch too much TV by night. I like to say I've been firmly in the CW's clutches since it was the WB. As the great Seth Cohen on the OC once said about the fictional teen drama, The Valley, TV teen dramas are mind-numbing escapism. They exist in a fantasy world where 20-something hot actors are usually cosplaying high schoolers in melodramatic depictions of adolescents. But that's honestly why I love teen dramas so much. I love the tropes and the ships and the not-at-all-subtle product placement. I love the early aughts theme songs and the cameo performances by pop-punk bands. I love the newer generation of shows that are more diverse and representative of the vastness of teenage girldom. And I especially love the moments when TV teen dramas get political. You guys, we can organize, stand together, speak with one voice. Karl Marx has come alive for me today. Now it just seems so obviously wrong that those who control capital should make their fortunes off the labor of the working class. Well, since you've fired us, you've given us plenty of time to kick in. Workers of the world, unite! Throw off the Very exciting. Very exciting. Always wanted to be on a podcast. Yeah. So here you are. Welcome to yeah. the third episode of the second season of Leftist Teen Drama. Thanks. Today we are talking about Gilmore Girls, which is like anyone who knows me knows it's pretty much my ultimate favorite show, ultimate comfort show. And importantly, I think that my relationship to Gilmore Girls is very much intertwined with like growing up because it aired while we were growing up. Like from 2000 to 2007 is essentially our childhood. So there's a lot of childhood memories and like nostalgia attached to it. And I think that that is a great segue into who my guests are. Because <laughs> I think y'all are two of the oldest friends who have been on the podcast so far. Jessica definitely wears the crown. I have been friends with Jessica since we were kindergartners. And I've been friends with Laura since we were like sixth graders. So yeah. um, little babies, welcome to the pod to Laura and Jess. Thanks. We all were obsessed with Gilmore Girls growing up like I think that that's just very clear and we can talk about it more but I think that it's very important to say at the top of the podcast also that we as fully grown adults won Gilmore Girls <laughs> trivia night at the bar of videology in Williamsburg RIP I don't think it exists anymore I know no one um, and I don't think we ever collected our winning drinks with our the tokens we won oh, yeah. no I think I still have mine at my parents house yeah but we did win Gilmore Girls keychains and like we were also with my sister's Sophia and my sister and I both like already had a version of the keychain that they gave us and I was just like wow this is like some deep deep fandom. <laughs> I would also like to note that none of us really prepared for said trivia. Nope. This was I was like oh should I dome. maybe watch some episodes? I didn't. I vividly <laughs> I remember us looking around at the table at each other and being like how'd they get that wrong? Like, And then we realized are we super fans? <laughs> we were legitimately in the lead the entire time. Like it wasn't just that we won. We like dominated. <laughs> <laughs> Our team was, name was uh, Bad Bad 8 Oatmeal. Yes. Yes. I thought that was a good one. People had good names. Names. I mean, other people really gave it their all, but in the end, apparently, it just wasn't enough. Apparently, our 
knowledge of like unmatched which then when we were getting ready for this podcast episode like laura could like recite multiple episodes and like which number and season they were off memory so maybe that's a dvd culture like you know too because like yeah i think it is i used to watch the dvds all the time with my sister i mean we also watched it live so i guess we can just yeah we can just start by talking about all of our different relationships to gilmore girls as way of introducing ourselves so like for me my mom used gilmore girls as like a bargaining chip so she watched it by herself the first season but then we watched like reruns of the first season with her i'm pretty sure and we got all hooked on it and so then when the second season started airing on tuesday nights on the wb we used to be allowed to watch it as long as we went to ccd which was also on tuesday because um, we hated ccd so much and so it really became a thing where like me and my mom and my sister like would watch it together and then eventually we had the dvds my sister and i would just watch them over and over again in the basement and i also wrote about gilmore girls multiple times in college nonfiction essay and my honors like science class that was like basically not a science class because it was emerson college <laughs> i somehow like wrote about how the town meeting was like an evolutionary like thing or something mm, like can i read that paper <laughs> if i can find it <laughs> Sounds um, awesome. But yeah, Gilmore Girls has definitely been a big part of my life for a long time. Like in a lot of hard times, it's what I put on so that I feel like, you know, the comforting hug of Stars Hollow. Like obviously we have a lot of different things that are foundational to our friendships, but like shared interest in things like Gilmore Girls definitely fueled our teenage, you know, hysteria. I mean, like, let's be real, never grown out of the hysteria fandom forever. <laughs> There's a way you're obsessed with things when you're a kid that, like, you can never recreate, I feel like. Hello, I'm Laura. I am childhood friends with Maria, as, <laughs> as said. <laughs> and I guess just to go into my relationship with Gilmore Girls, I was going to do the long version. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> so I have a vivid memory of the very first episode I watched, which was So Good Talk in season five. Nice. Um, when Luke is really mad and, like, throwing food around in the diner because he and Lorelai have broken up. <laughs> it was at my friend's house which I don't know if we're naming names, but I was at our friend, friend's house and then I was like, okay, wow, I must watch the rest of this show. And I watched it via DVDs that I would borrow from Maya, who I think listens to this podcast. So I will name Yeah, we can, we can definitely shout out Maya. <laughs> yeah. Shouts out hey, to Maya. Maya. Thanks for your DVDs. You <laughs> <laughs> would bring them to gymnastics practice and nice. then I would watch them. <laughs> so I guess I just watched it via reruns, probably like as season six was airing. And then I have a very weird relationship with season six which i'm bringing up because this episode is in season six but i feel like gilmore girls was my first like the first time i talked about and read about tv on the internet and back in 2006 it was hard to watch a show that was currently airing like you couldn't just go on hulu and watch episodes so what i would do is i would go on the sadly now defunct television without pity and read the recaps which was literally like scene by scene not total transcriptions but like very in-depth recaps of what was happening and so that colored a lot of my thoughts and opinions about season six and the characters and like who this recapper hated and who she didn't mm. and all that so it's like I read about everything that happened before I watched it which it's just it's kind of weird I feel like I have I'm at a distance from it compared to the other seasons of the show oh and then 
I was on the Gilmore Girls uh, forums, also on GilmoreGirls.org. This was probably during season, it must have been during season seven, like watching week to week and like discussing with people, like my seventh grade self. I was an active Java junkie. Yes. (laughs) Which is the name for the Luke and Lorelai pairing. Yep. Um, The Lorelai and Christopher pairing was Balcony Buddies, which people got really mad about because they were like, that's not as deep of a connection. Java junkies is, you know, Lorelai getting her coffee every day and all wow. that. So, so good times, good times. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that's about it. But basically, yes, I was very into Gilmore Girls. I feel like I rewatched it less as we've gotten older, but it totally like formed a lot of my emotional attachments slash like growing up really loving Rory Gilmore. I feel like was just important to me and like my development as a person so there you go yeah we'll get to the revival when we get to the end but like mm-hmm. i don't know what rory Phaeton in the revival says about all of us as a generation who like grew up on rory gilmore doesn't <laughs> not happy about it yeah and then yeah, so Jessica, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, very long. I'm also one of Maria's childhood friends, as per the intro. But I, unlike Maria, did not watch a lot of Gilmore Girls live when it came out. I probably started watching around 2005 and had quite a few seasons to catch up on at that time. Right. But Gilmore Girls, once I began watching, quickly became obsessed with it. Had all the DVDs that I would buy at Target, <laughs> monitor their sales and whatnot. But it was also one of the first shows where I wanted to rewatch episodes mm. where I felt like before I didn't have a propensity to do that. And then with Gilmore Girls, it became very regular doing that. I would say I also loved the show because my younger brother's five years younger than me. And it was often how I got control of the television, to be honest, because my dad was like, oh, like these are characters are good influences. Rory's very focused on college. And <laughs> somehow that's how I got control of the TV. So Gilmore Girls became a staple in my household for that reason as well. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's true. She was really like going hard for, well, Harvard originally from like day one. Yeah, and I think that also, and we're going to talk about Rory and Paris primarily today, like pretty much. And I think that like Rory and Paris having like that like frenemy friend that became friendship, like relationship that was completely like being competitive about like grades and not like boys was like a very important like thing for us to have uh, growing up too. Like, like that epic scene with the fencing is like not, it's just about like, yeah, I don't know. So good. And then there's that scene where I must, maybe it's related to the fencing. I don't remember the exact context, but the headmaster calls him into his office. He's like, why are you guys fighting? You need to calm down. What's going on? Are you fighting about a boy? And then Paris is just like yelling at him. Like, oh, of course, that's the only thing we could be fighting about. Like, yes, yes. You misogynist. I think, it, you it, I think it might be real. Yeah, I think that might've been the talking to they got to after their, their fencing fiasco. <laughs> We're all here because like if... It was imperative that we do Marxist Paris Geller on this podcast, and therefore I felt like the only people I could invite to do that with me are the ones who I, you know, won a Gilmore Girls trivia night with. So, and yes, I will brag about that forever because I highly doubt I'm like ever going to win a trivia night again, and it's too fun of a fact that it's that highly specific. (laughs) And especially that we did not prepare. We just went in (laughs) casually doing this trivia. Went in with the minds that we have, which are filled with endless amounts of information about Gilmore Girls we don't really need to know. <laughs> and there were multiple rounds where we had to finish quotes. Yeah. And we got them right. <laughs> yeah. And 
honestly, I feel like you, Laura, we, we made a good team because, like, I feel like you have, like, that season seven shit on lock in a way that, like, the rest of us don't because you actually were, like, watching it, like, while you were on the fan forums and stuff. Like, that really, like, locks it in there. I feel like I know less quotes, but I know more of what happened in it. Yes, exactly. First of all, it's, like, very Gilmore Girls of us to be recording this during Christmas time, although it's not as, like, snowy as, like, it would be in a Star's Hollow scene. And so it is our last recording of 2021, I thought I would mention. This is going to come out in 2022, but, you know, this is the last time we're actually recording in 2021 in case anything vastly changes uh, between now and then. And so we're mainly going to be talking about the iconic Marxist Paris Geller, you know, little plot line, which is just really fun. And you may recognize parts of the rant from our theme song. So it had to be done. But we also thought that given that Gilmore Girls is like kind of following the journey of Rory and Paris, who flirted with politics, I feel like as like nerdy little feminist nerdy girls, I don't know. But because of that, we just even though they never quite committed, like we we get some other political moments in Gilmore Girls that we thought were worth talking about. So this is going to be both the main show is Marix's Paris Geller, but we're going to give you a little appetizer of some other political moments. So I would say that like for high school kids, they were pretty political. You know, they were into C-SPAN, like, you know, of obviously Abba Time was like super feminist to be into Hillary Clinton. So they were definitely into that. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Rory wants to write her college essay yeah. on Hillary, Hillary Clinton. And the only reason why she does it is because people are doing it. <laughs> yep. Yep. And honestly, really cringe in retrospect, Rory. <laughs> Uh, it was 2002? But, yes, but I think, it's, I think it's very indicative of the time and like they have like a pro-choice poster that you see a lot, I feel like, on the wall of their college dorm. So they're definitely just sort of like it's part of their characters that they, they're political. When she gets arrested, her mom like freaks out about like, is she going to be able to vote? Like she loves to vote. Like she changes her, I voted figure from like outfit to outfit. And so I feel like it's just like a long held that they, you know, are more politically involved than the average kid at the very least. And so then once they get to college, you know, they start to dabble in some of the college activism. So I thought that what we would start with is an episode that is incredibly iconic from season four, the spring break episode, which I mean, there are several reasons we're not going to watch that it's iconic, which includes Rory and Paris kissing and the shins playing a shitty <laughs> Florida spring break party for some reason. And like the thing that's so unrealistic, I was rewatching it. I was like, she is a shins fan. Like we've heard her listen to the shins like on her Walkman and yet she's not like freaking out that they're playing in front of her that's the only thing that I'm like this makes no sense you know um, yeah she listens to I think it's Know Your Onion yes uh, in season two like yeah. she would absolutely know that the shins were playing yeah. fine, <laughs> it's fine it's still art and I know there's a lot of Paris and Rory shippers out there who must really hold this episode dear to their heart but yeah so before Rory and Paris end up on spring break they attempt their first attempt at college activism. You might as well stick your head in a sugar bowl. If we can find one big enough, you'll be able to eat like that forever, you know. What are you getting? All brand. Asher turned me onto it. He's a romantic. He wants me to live a long time and be healthy. That is romantic. Okay, just a joke. No reflection on your man, friend. 
So after breakfast, I'm going to pick up the sign for our table, and then I'll meet you in the courtyard. Anti-accidents. Yeah, I'll meet you in the courtyard. I'm actually really excited about this. I mean, it's our first social protest of significance in college. I know, it's so exciting. We actually get to do something important, make a difference, have a say in the world. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just get one Burmese political prisoner released because of our petition? You're thinking small, Geller. Let's get them all out. Even the guilty one. Hell yeah. Seriously? Because that would be great. Really great. Okay. So I'll pick you up at 7 o'clock Saturday morning. Okay, Glenn. Thank you. Seriously. No problem, Glenn. This is a turning point. You know how you have them when even the angry voices in your head have to shut up for just a minute? Sure. <laughs> Why is he so happy? Oh, I couldn't get away earlier for spring break. My friends are leaving without me. I need a ride. Glenn has a van, and there you go. You're going to ride to Florida with a guy who's bummed that he got turned down by that German cannibal? That was just a rumor, and yes, I'm desperate. Glenn's not that bad. I'm sure you'll be fine. Hey, there's extra room in the van in case you guys need a ride. Oh, no, thank you. I don't think we're going to do the whole spring break thing. Ever since I broke up with Moondoggy, soaking up the rays hasn't been the same. It's going to be really fun. You're missing out. I'm not really a spring break kind of gal, but thank you for the offer. Okay, but if you change your mind, Gary Gilmore's got room in the car. Got it. Oh, Janet, if you have a chance, you should stop by and sign our petition for political prisoners in Burma. I'll try. I actually have to run out and get a new bathing suit before my class this afternoon. Okay. Think of all the tortured souls festering in Burma while you're at the size two rack. I hate that she's thin. Okay, that's ridiculous. You're all thin. Um, <laughs> Amy Sherman Palladino's fat phobia knows no bounds. Unfortunately, one of her flaws that I just I feel like it's in the need to point out that like I don't endorse that part of the you know Gilmore Girls shit. Right, of course. It was I think at the beginning of Magic to Do was that when Lorelai and Luke were going shopping and then they get the wrong clothes. Yeah, I was like holding up the underwear, making fun of that woman. Yeah, not, not cool, girl. That. Especially considering how much fucking shitty food you eat. Right. <laughs> 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 don't be judging other people's weight at all but yeah so i really like you know identify with paris in that scene the like part where she's kind of just like well think about you know this cause while you're like doing your privileged college kid thing and that's very much what my college organizer days felt like and i'll talk about it even more once we get to the them actually tabling part because i think that's even more indicative it's definitely like a thing that when you're trying to like make social change there's going to be a lot of people around you who like could give zero fucks and that scene shows that but also i just love the idealism of of youth you know like you know like maybe our petition could really get these political prisoners released like i don't know and a, also what are they going to do with that petition once they get signatures like who is who's that being sent to with any power like i just i don't i have questions about the follow-through here but I do appreciate the optimism. Definitely optimistic. And you also know that they're freshmen when they've scheduled this uh, petition to occur on the Friday before spring break. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> empty then. Yeah. yeah. I, it almost makes you wonder, like, okay, so like at my school, like if you wanted to table at like, there were certain places you were allowed to table and you had to like, like rent out the time or whatever you know like reserve the space ahead of time and and like sometimes we would do things that like were not sanctioned like that but like sometimes like my worker group would actually like line up for the table and like be sitting there with information or whatever it was at the time 
and I wonder if because they're freshmen that was like the only time they could get. I know I'm probably reading more into it than they actually did but like it is like Jessica you're right it's like an awful time to have your one petition like gathering situation happen. But it also is so the point though how bureaucratic everything is with schools to engage with communities or do anything philanthropic just all the hoops you have to jump through for what should be like the simplest outing or initiative can be really frustrating too yep which is definitely part of why a lot of people just don't bother at all good on good on them for trying i guess i just think it's funny that they picked the burmese prisoners because like it's such a like you know when you think about like i mean it's again they're freshmen and they are not like they don't become like full-on organizers but if you actually do like a power analysis of your campaign like they don't have like any leverage or power like really toward like not in a way like when you're picking campaign in college like that's why like a lot of times you end up doing things like divestment campaigns within the university or like what i did supporting like workers on campus who wanted to organize or we once and i'll definitely talk about this because it's the international work that i've done like being in solidarity with people who make the clothes that are in your bookshop like things where you actually like have leverage and like some power is like obviously the best way to pick your cause your target and it's just it's just really funny them being so idealistic and like picking like this huge cause on which they have no power over right. but like, it was interesting that paris was like oh this is our first social protest to have significance in college but then asp doesn't write any other social protests of significance i don't think so you know there is in that ba- the background of whichever what 519 or something yeah yeah but we'll, that's talk, not, we'll talk about you know, it significant but and they're not part of it it's and even more importantly yeah i think that's a missed opportunity i think it would have been great we would have had even more material for the podcast but it's fine fine you needed you needed to fit in you know rory's journalism career i guess should we go forward to the actual protest if we can actually call it that because i mean it's (laughs) kind of that word (laughs) yeah it's kind of bleak It's okay, they're baby freshmen. They really are. I don't go to a laundromat. Uh, maybe they're Nicole socks, you know, her. Oh my god, Luke has in are... unit. <laughs> You're not wearing your socks. <laughs> I mean he I owns the building, so true. <laughs> he can put whatever he wants. Prisoners. Sign up now. Take a stand. This bowl of rice is all the Burmese prisoner gets to eat in a day. One bowl. That's it. No butter or soy sauce. Enjoy your maxim. You couldn't read that in Burma. I'm freezing. Me too. Look at all these hypocrites passing by. Everyone claims to be so politically aware, but not one person can stop by for two seconds to sign a stupid petition. People suck. You all suck. Paris, the race. Great. With one prop and it's blowing away. You knocked it over. Well, you put it right in front of me. How was I supposed to know you're going to jump out of your seat like a maniac? You know me. You room with me. You should have known. Hey, Rory. <laughs> Paris. Oh, Glenn, I'm so glad you stopped by because this is an issue that affects every person that has a heart and a soul. A great injustice is being perpetrated on our watch and we've got to do something to stop it. Uh, Aren't you going to sign a petition? No, I just need a place to put my sandwich down. Is that a raindrop? Yep. Out of the way! Move, move, move! Is it raining? No, it's National Baptist Day. Tie your tubes, idiots. All right, great. And then they just like, you know, um, they, they, you know, get all warmed up and then they realize that it would be warm and in florida so they decided to go to spring break (laughs) 
but that's not as relevant to our purposes. So yeah, they, uh, I guess for those who cannot see, aka our listeners, um, they had like a little sign with like a Burmese flag on it, I assume. And it was like, human rights for Burmese freedom. And so they made a nice sign. I'm going to give them that. Uh, they, have prop, they have their bowl of rice. Is that there's no affiliation with anything Yale, like no club name or anything, <laughs> like, which makes you wonder, were they just doing that on their own? <laughs> the two of them? That is the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering that too. And I think, you know, they're not tabling for like an international human rights group. It's just them. <laughs> uh, yeah, would not recommend if you're a college student listening to this podcast, like you're probably going to make more of a difference if you at least are affiliated with a group that has some sort of structure. Like, yeah. <laughs> But I do think that it's, like, a good metaphor for, like, you know, like, just disillusioned college kids. But especially college kids, like, they're like, oh, everyone, like, likes to say they're so progressive and politically aware, but not one person can, like, stop to, like, sign this petition. Like, 100%, like, that has not changed one bit (laughs) since they were in college. Because, like, basically, we used to table all the time when I was a in a worker solidarity group on campus, especially for this one campaign we had that I worked on early on, where basically the Ronda Plaza collapse happened in 2013. So this was 2014, right after that had happened. And the group that we were affiliated with, United Students Against Sweatshops, was doing like a whole campaign to try to get this larger corporation to sign on to the, the accord on building and fire safety in Bangladesh, which like came out of that collapse to like, you know, try to make a change. And so we were pressuring them to cut transport was the one affiliated brand we had in our bookstore and we would do a lot of tabling stuff about that and try to like let people know about like what happened in bangladesh and shit and no one would come like you know everyone's just going into the dining hall no one gives a fuck like so then when the workers went public with like our on-campus workers went public with their union we were like okay well this is not going to do like we're gonna bring the petition into people's faces and so we would like me especially specifically most often it was me and my friend Nikki we would like go table to table during meals and be like hey can we talk to you for a minute you know like you know that like the food service workers like back there are like unionizing and then like we had the like awkwardness of the fact that they were eating food that the food service workers had just like made for them which was an extra you know guilt trip sort of tactic that we used however encountered multiple people who were literally said stuff like the food isn't good here like in response to like do you want to support workers who made that food for you so like no (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I know yeah no it's it's crazy and then we had some people who were like well I don't believe in unions and stuff and I was like ooh like you your parents are the bourgeoisie like I promise like that's where this is coming from if we're gonna get real Marxist with it for the episode um (laughs) there are a lot of rich kids at that school and there are a lot of rich kids at Yale so like I just feel like it really it really captures that spirit and I like just that's just one of the college episodes that after having gone to college just became it became more real for me where I'm like oh this is a real thing that they uh, depicted (laughs) and I understand why maybe the first you know swing and miss kind of like disillusions them from wanting to do further political act and activism I don't know they never do it again that we know of so it's gonna be my theory (laughs) 
Yeah, I wonder if like Amy Sherman Palladino just didn't care or if the network was like, this is early 2000s network <laughs> television shows for teen girls. Like we don't need to show them being politically active. Yeah, none okay. of that. None of that. That or... Like it, Rory has a pro-choice sign in her room. That's quite enough. <laughs> that or it became fueled through like her journalism career where you started seeing things through the headlines of the Yale Daily News instead. You could, They could have done that. And yet <laughs> chose not to. Yeah, we're going to talk about the one time that they actually did that. But yeah, so great scene. And of course, topped off by, you know, Paris taking out her anger on the stupid bitch who asked if it was raining. <laughs> National Baptism Day. So funny. <laughs> so that was early Rory and Paris fighting the system at Yale, but not even really fighting the system at Yale, really like fighting the larger global system, I guess. So the next time that we get political is in season five and Rory is back for her sophomore year and she is pitching to Doyle, the editor in chief of the Yale Daily News at the time, articles for her features beat that she has just been given. And two of her initial pitches are like pretty political. And it's hilarious that the one she goes with is not either of them. But so she music says, downloading. <laughs> yeah, she goes with music downloading, which even in like, you know, 2005 or whatever, was like already an overplayed story. <laughs> like <laughs> So she said, I have about a million ideas for my first story. Well, first I thought I could do an update on unionizing the janitorial staff. You know, a classic power struggle, haves versus the have-nots. And then for the next one, she had a title already, Yale's Liberal Activist Network, A Thing of the Past. And she didn't do either of them. And I'm like, those sound way more interesting than your music downloading. <laughs> right, than just like Napster, which A, she couldn't even find an angle on because the guy she interviewed was so boring. I, Cause I had totally forgotten about the janitorial staff unionizing cause that's just a throwaway line. But then when I was rewatching last year, I was like, wait, that would have been so cool. I would have wanted to see a lot of that, but. <laughs> I mean, there there is a lot of things we can talk about, Ari, the class dynamic on this show, but I also feel like Amy Sherman Palladino was not super interested in interrogating anything about service workers or, I mean, because we hear about Lorelai, obviously after she leaves home, you know, she works as a maid and has to work her way up, but like, that's almost kind of in Lorelai's it's kind of like a mythology that mm. we don't hear that much about. It's like, oh, she did this, but mm, that's they don't focus that much on how hard it must have been for her and like the support programs that could have been there for her and all of that. So not that I would necessarily expect a teen drama to do that, but I feel like there was an opportunity there. And I suppose that paralleled with Emily Gilmore's constant use of different maids and service workers too, where it seems like almost a revolving door of workers at her house. But it's always a joke. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's not like, oh, these poor immigrant women who have to work for this horrible woman who fires them for no reason because she uses the wrong blueberries or something. And it's overly difficult. (laughs) Yep. 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 Yeah. I just, I think it's in, it must be in one of the episodes right before. Yeah. Because it's while uh, Rory is at like staying there like she literally fires one of the women because Rory was talking to her in Spanish and then she hi- fired she fired her and hired someone with like an Eastern European like immigrant instead or something so that Rory couldn't have like any communication with her and I'm like wow it's like literally some like classic boss shit like that's what people do to keep workers from like organizing with each other like try to have people who don't speak the same language like that goes back as far as like slavery like 
<laughs> like, yeah, I mean that that's not even a little bit funny. I just think that's straight up evil. That poor woman who I know, you know, probably, you know, <laughs> I just I feel very bad for that woman. But I also like that scene because Lex Spidell's first language is Spanish. So right. I just think it's cute seeing her like have to pretend to not really be able to speak it. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, the class dynamics on this on this show are uh, very interesting. Obviously, there's also the whole thing with like Rory sort of trying to have both worlds of like growing up like her and Lorelai did, but then also having the like rich family that's like paying for her education and like she lives with them for a while while she's in college. And so like her like that whole thing where she's like writing a thing about how Logan is like privileged as fuck, but then like doesn't actually recognize her own privilege is definitely a thing. Not that they didn't have like struggles and everything but i don't know there's it's it's very interesting interesting to think about somebody who like basically chose to be poor yeah i mean there was a lot of criticism of lorelei of like yeah i mean exactly that kind of choosing to be poor although i think that's kind of like a bad faith interpretation of her motivations like she wasn't glorifying it i feel like when she leaves home at 16 that's like you know that was what she had to do for her own like mental health and well-being but you know she does she can go to her grant her parents to pay for rory's chilton tuition and all of that so i mean i don't know i don't really know where i was going with that but <laughs> no, i mean either i, I think just have feelings it just like introduces <laughs> because... a very weird dynamic that i don't know what to do with i don't think any of us do yeah because lorelei did struggle for a lot of years it right. seemed like she wasn't she was not taking money from her parents for a long time right Right. I think the implication is until Rory goes to Chilton. So like she was 16 years old working at an inn, as a maid at an inn, I assume making minimum wage. Like yeah. they live in that potting shed. That's just something that's dropped and then never talked about again. I just, I have a lot of questions about like how she ended <laughs> up with that house, which is a very nice house. It is. Um, what are the economics in Stars Hollow? <laughs> <laughs> How can she afford to eat out all the time? But hey, that's a, that's a separate round hole. So Rory pitches this article about the janitorial staff unionizing. It doesn't go anywhere. But I would say that, it, you know, I guess it sort of foreshadows her eventually being a political journalist. So then we're going to talk briefly about the time that actual Yale labor history was in the background of Gilmore Girls. So then later in season five, episode 519, which originally aired on April 26, 2005, Rory is walking through campus of Logan and they cross a picket line essentially Jessica I know you have a soft spot for Logan but like bad influence (laughs) and so I'm gonna shout out an organizer who I worked with on my first like campaign Haley Kosick back then we talked about Gilmore Girls and she like back when she posted the I'm gonna make sure to find a way to put in the show notes the picture of Rory and Logan with these people wearing picket signs that say on strike and then G-E-S-O so that stands for an actual group that was actually organizing on campus in 2005 called the Graduate Employees and Students Organization. And I found an actual Yale Daily News article from April 18th, 2005. So like of like 10 days or something before this episode aired. So it was like very, very recent relevantly happening. 
at the time and basically i'm just going to quote from the article prospective members of the class of 2009 will likely be greeted as a fiend this morning but might not show up on an admissions website a group of yale teaching assistants kicking off a five-day strike with hopes to sway the yale administration to recognize their group as a graduate student union and for anyone who knows anything about labor that's actually a long fight to have graduate workers be union members because a lot of them do a lot of academic work as anyone who goes to a big i mean i didn't go to a big enough school for that to really be a thing but like at these big universities like you're getting taught by like tas and like graduate students a lot of the time and so it took actually till obama for that to like be legally codified and then trump undid it <laughs> i think essentially biden's administration has been very good on labor so like columbia university students are actively on strike i don't know if they will be by the time this comes out hopefully they will not the columbia university students have been on uh, graduate students have been on strike basically the same exact kind of workers who rory crossed the picket line <laughs> I just like I mean she didn't like really like being on campus is kind of, but like it's just it's close enough that I'm gonna say it <laughs> just mad funny but yeah I guess they wanted like Haley Kosick is the one who introduced me to this she worked for Unite Here she works for Unite Here and I'm pretty sure that like that group is is affiliated with Unite Here so she was like yeah did you know that they like were looking for some sort of thing that was happening on campus to be in the background and like they actually used these actual signs from uh, the, the GESO uh strike so i just think that that's amazing and we will put in the show notes like a link to the image so you can see that indeed happens <laughs> that's going, cool. yeah it's pretty cool i am like pretty into it so now we're coming up to the main event i like to you know create some context for what we're about to watch so we'll talk about some of the things that precede this we are now going to go to a very interesting power dynamic between rory and paris as well as paris's little marxist awakening so in late season five which is you know right around when the sun Unite Here strike is happening. Paris starts dating Doyle. There's that whole episode where they like end up defining the relationship after Nanny has taken care of him. So she's like, you know, living her best life. Meanwhile, you know, Rory is living her absolute worst life. And um, after being, you know, like attacked by the entire Hunsberger family at the first dinner she ever has at her new boyfriend's house, she then is offered an internship, which she thinks she's doing great at. And then Mitchum Hunsberger decides instead that he'll just tear Rory apart and tell her that she doesn't have it which leads to rory making the deeply irrational decision to steal a yacht with logan and when she gets out she decides not to go back to yale next year and moves in of her grandparents while she does her 300 hours of community service which i do think it's funny that even though she had the whole like we were just saying like growing up poor totally but like by the time that she's standing in front of a court they see her as a privileged college kid with her like family yeah. I love that judge. Yeah. She was like, I don't care who your grandparents are. 20 yeah. hours of community service, that's bullshit. I'm giving yeah. you 300. Well, what was it that her comment that sparked it? Because it was the lawyer, her lawyer had fought with the judge after he made a rule, initial ruling and then he increased it, right? If I'm remembering correctly. I think the, the her attorney was asking for like 20 hours of community service and a warning or something silly like that. Yeah. And then I think uh, Emily and Richard got involved too. They yeah. were protesting in some way. Which and the judge like eventually just cool. shut it down. 
Yeah. Right. Like you should absolutely not be doing in a courtroom, but whatever, it's television. That's the world of rich people shit. Honestly, like them thinking like, yeah. oh, but like our granddaughter isn't supposed to actually have like an actual sentence. Like we should say something. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that lawyer was like the slimiest guy ever. I don't remember the details, but he was talking about like, oh, he had clients that were for sure super guilty, but then he just like played golf with people from his law school or something. And then he just got them off. Yeah. Which, that was not... like, the small talk they were making. Like yes. when they were, yeah. And it was like, yikes, yikes. But also like, obviously knowing that like, you know, the grandparents are essentially like, I mean, maybe not the Gilmores, but like they're in the same social circles as the owning class, like the Huntsburgers own newspapers, you know, like. So that's Just like, of course, they would expect that Rory's sentence would be minimal. Right. And then, I mean, even 300 hours of community service over six months, that's not that many hours. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was like doable, like. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where we are at the beginning of season six. And Paris is like very much in the like, along with Lorelai, in the like, this is ridiculous, go back to Yale, what the fuck camp. And so in the first episode of season six, like Paris visits to borrow clothes so that she can meet Doyle's family. And she's kind of like, okay, so you like live here now? Like about the pool house? Like what the fuck is going on? And she like assumes that like Rory's pregnant when she says she's not going back. And my favorite part of the scene is when Logan comes in and Paris just goes you and like storms out (laughs) and I'm like honestly yeah (laughs) (laughs) not a Logan fan (laughs) me either although to be fair to Logan it really is not his fault no I mean it's his dad's fault but it's not his personal fault that Rory's dropping out of Yale however I still hate him and will blame him for many things exactly exactly that is the right take and side note that kind of leads into that in me not liking Logan is the fucking party they throw with all of these white kids in like fucking jail clothes being like oh ha ha you got arrested I'm like I literally hate y'all like I hate y'all the most tone deaf shit I've ever seen in my life like especially like in New Haven like there's like a pretty like there's like a working class in New Haven right like I mean like who actually like have to deal with the consequences of the like criminal justice system like fuck y'all for like making a mockery of it like I don't know yeah very much so there's a big you know really big tension between the new haven community and the actual yale students just there are like areas of the city that are in the process of gentrifying and obviously all the yale kids get the good real estate and it's just not you know there's a lot of tension there that makes sense and the exact kind of kids who would be creating like who would be like you know making people not like the average Yale kid are kids like Logan and his friends who <laughs> like, you know, treat New Haven as like their personal playground. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Rory has gotten arrested. She's living in uh, the pool house and she needs a job. So she meets Emily's Daughters of the American Revolution gals and they're like, oh my God, there so happens to be this job that is part time with flexible hours that you can do at our office. The only catch is you have to join the DAR. And so she does that and she becomes like a spy for Emily inside the DAR. Meanwhile, Paris is visiting Lorelai for frequent lunches to fill in the Rory void. And she's also kind of playing her own angle of trying to get Rory to, you know, go in on this place of her and Doyle. And she's like, I have to put a deposit down by 5 p.m. And Rory's like, I'm not going back to Yale. I told you this. And Paris is just like not having it. I also think it's hilarious that like this one student who's like blog is a big thing, like has put 
the the story of Rory and Logan, like, you know, stealing the boat, and she all she has to do is Google Rory Logan sex boat to uh, <laughs> to find <laughs> that she's been written about. I also just had to mention a line in this conversation where like Paris is like I'm gonna be stuck with some shitty roommate now like what if I like you know get stuck with some serial or killer or rapist and Rory says I think Yale is pretty good at screening for rapists and serial killers and I'm like girl no they're not are you kidding I mean, maybe serial killers but for sure not rapists uh, it's just funny how much has changed between like when this aired and now because I feel like you would never hear that and like now like the sex lives of college girls is in a college setting and there's like a whole sexual assault like plotline in that show like you know like it's just like the way that we think about like rape on campus is so different now so i thought that was really interesting because like that's just like a kind of throwaway wine that i feel like no one would write that now because <laughs> totally. like there yeah. are very much rapists on campus like we all know i also wanted to mention the paris being at the dragonfly a lot because i think it's very relevant to her then having a like working class like sort of revelation it's the fact that she treats workers like shit <laughs> like beforehand like as a rich kid and she like she has very high expectations for the people who serve her she kind of acts like emily in a way i feel like sometimes with like servers like she you know while she's eating lunch at the dragonfly like actively like critiques a server for like the way he pours water in her glass and all of the like workers like hide when she when she arrives and but i do also think it's interesting um like in the spring break episode remember she's tipping people all the oh, time right. like, over tipping yes even people who are not actively serving her and i think her idea is like you know if you tip now then they'll continue to serve you well so that's just very different from the paris we see at the dragonfly who's like critiquing everything all the time yeah no, definitely. To me, I'm just like, because this is only a couple episodes before the We've Got Magic to Do episode, I'm just sort of like, maybe we should force all rich people to work a minimum wage job at some point in their lives because she goes from being an asshole to like, you know, spouting Marx's theory as soon as she is put in the position of having to serve people. So I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's what my mom always said. My mom always said every person should be required to work one retail job and one serving job just to see how like truly difficult it is. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. reasonable, I think. 100%. And so, you know, you know, we're just talking about the class of 2009 having been greeted by the Unite Here strike on like, you know, accepted students day or whatever. And then Rory stands on campus while the class of 2009 is getting inducted and is kind of like, you know, she's just visiting Logan on campus. The yeah. exact same speech from, from 402. It's like the exact same speech oh, about yeah, yeah, the, yeah. like, if you lose your ID, you won't right. get a new one. Or like, your photo is yours, so don't be precious about it. I exactly. Think it's the same line, it's the same line. and then it fades into Rory getting inducted into the DAR, which is like where she is now in her life instead of being like a college kid. I was just like, oof. Sometimes they really do it right on this show, you know, like those transitions. <laughs> So by the time that we get to the episode uh, that's the main event today, Rory is like fully in the DAR, like the episode before the one that we're going to watch, she is filling in for Emily at a DAR mixer and in a pink blazer, being all fake with all the old white ladies, you know, like she knows how to play them. Like, so we get to 6 
605 we've got magic to do original air date october 11th 2005 and this is the marks of paris geller episode and i think it's really interesting that rory kind of ends up being the management to paris's worker in this <laughs> in this scenario so uh that's why i wanted to give all the background on what's going on in rory's life because yeah even though they're friends and everything's fine before and after that is kind of the dynamic that ends up happening in this episode and i also wanted to mention that i wrote about this episode on a short-lived blog i ran that predates left of teen drama but was essentially the same idea uh called m dippery watch it I might, I might, you know, link to the original post if you're interested, because it's still up in the show notes. So I took some of my, uh, you know, quips from that. I was like, you know, why not why do the work I hadn't already done? So Rory, basically at the beginning of this episode, sits at a DAR meeting, which is hilarious because she's like, you know, 40 years younger than like, <laughs> like half of the people there or whatever, and it's probably being nice. And so apparently they have this function coming up for the troops and Constance Betterton is running the event into the ground. And so I also thought it was funny, like, I did not remember this the first time around, that, like, they're literally, like, like they're raising money for, like, armor for <laughs> the boys at Fart drum which kind of just make all of paris's points that she makes against like the bourgeoisie just like ev hit even harder it's just, right. like it's just like not a great cause even it's not even like you can say like oh it's a bunch of like rich people like giving to like a at least it's a good cause it's like no they're just arming the fucking army like what like right. and also the army has enough money they don't need like donations from rich people in connecticut <laughs> The government gives them enough money, it's fine. And so they don't have enough, like, none of the tables have been sold or whatever, and they're, like, freaking out, and Rory has, like, there's time to fix this. She suggests groundbreaking ideas like using the internet, emailing people, having a theme. <laughs> entertainment which i'm kind of like concerned that none of these things were already a part of the plan but uh, i guess it's 2005 and the old people haven't discovered emailing yet um <laughs> so she is given an assistant taking over the event everyone's all excited about it except for emily who's like very worried that she's gonna like fail i guess and meanwhile lorelei and richard are having a standoff because richard is again denying that logan's parents ever like you know were awful to rory which is like one of the big conflicts between them right now and this is kind kind of where we are when we enter this plot line of Paris needing to get a job and therefore discovering Marx's struggle. So we're going to watch Paris lose her money. So I feel like it's important to say that all that we know about Paris before now is her just being like a wealthy kid at this private school that, you know, Rory started at in season one. And they've, I feel like we've just like alluded to her being, her family being very wealthy, but they've never really told us what they do or anything. Like, I feel like it's just like vaguely she has a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out if they'd ever mentioned in season one what, what her parents did, but I couldn't I couldn't really find it. I didn't go watching episodes, but I was like searching through the fandom wiki and stuff. Cause I think we we get weird references to her mom like getting a lot of plastic surgery and stuff. It seems like her mom doesn't really work and it's just her dad making a ton of money. True. Um, but I don't think they ever specify what he does. Yeah. So all we know is that she's definitely classic or early 2000s you know wealthy kid falls from grace and no longer has money like totally the setup of the plot line that we talked about with brooke davis having to get a job in the last season <laughs> like this is definitely a trope <laughs> let her in then hide i'll call you later bye do you know her i'm only your best friend who the hell are you paris come here calm down 
What's wrong? I'm broke. Broke? How? My parents flipped the bird at the IRS one too many times. They've frozen everything. All I've got is my trust fund, which doesn't kick in till I'm 25. So unless you can whip out a magic wand and age me four years, I'm a goner. Just sit down. Calm down. My ATM refused me. I thought it was just that particular one. So I went to another, and it refused me too. So I went to the bank and used a few choice expletives, and a bunch of guys in suits started closing in on me. So I started pacing and yelling, Attica, Attica, and then the manager hit a little red button under his desk. So I ran out of there and came right over here. I'm a pauper. No. I'll be playing a hurdy-gurdy on street corners and selling pencils out of a tin cup. Slow down. Yale's paid for through the end of the year, thank God. But what'll I do about everything else I need? What'll I do? You'll just have to do what everyone else who needs money has to do. What's that? What people do. What am I, a mind reader? Get a job. A job. I've never had a job. I don't know the first thing about having a job. All I've got on my resume is academic achievements, which will mean doodly squat when I'm in line with 11,000 people vying for an opening in the garden department at Walmart. Paris, wait. As you said, Yale's paid for. That's the bright side. From now on, you'll just have to keep your expenses low. And I could get you some work right away. How would that be? Really? Yes. I know you'll be a hard worker. That's a given. I definitely would be. And you know I speak Chinese and Farsi, if that'll help. Well, I need servers for the food. You could do that, right? I think so. See? You're on the road to recovery. Well, thanks. And I'll work my butt off too, Glenda. Oh, and I know a smattering of ancient Aramaic, if that helps. It could. If Christ shows up. And who are you? Go home, Paris. You've had a rough day. <laughs> I guess. I'll call you with the details. Thanks. Hey, uh, can you spot me a 20? Sure. 525. Um, here you go. Thanks. You love if Christ shows up. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many things I love about that scene, but one thing that I especially enjoy and that I like, you know, had written about in my original blog post is that I think it's interesting to see an upper class woman's view of low wage work in 2005 being written as her sort of understanding that she doesn't actually have the skills that low wage workers have and that like low wage work actually is skilled labor because I think a lot of like upper class people like just devalue low wage work and are like, well, anyone can do it, you know, like teenagers slip burgers or whatever, you know, that fucking bullshit argument but like no labor is unskilled labor and I think that you know Paris actually like sees like I'm like an academic like I don't know how to do anything else like like I don't have the skills that these other people have and I just thought that was like an interesting reaction to having to work yeah absolutely I was definitely like pleasantly surprised by how they framed that too Paris you kind of side eye Rory being like oh do what everyone does of course, you got to get a job when like, yes, we did see Rory struggling with money in season four. And I did really like those storylines. But other than that, Rory's not really had a job. I think she like works at the end with Lorelai, but that's not a big part of her life. She didn't work in season five that I can remember. So it's yeah. like, she's not, <laughs> I feel like she doesn't really have a leg to stand on there because it's not like, you know, she's, she worked since she was 14 years old and all her spending money is her own. It's like, A, you're living in your grandparents pool house they just redid for you you have a job that they got for you it's very few hours i'm sure you're making fine money but it's like that's a very cushy job yeah she's really only doing so she has something to do like it's not that she needs her money to pay her rent because she can't live in the college dorms anymore it's just like i don't know she was acting very high and mighty when i think she probably shouldn't have been no totally agreed yeah unfortunately rory's management here so we you know we we not love her as much as we usually do. <laughs> so yeah, so Paris, very much aware that she has no idea how to be a server, is going to be a server. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think that's a perfect transition into us watching her beginning of being on the job. So this is the night of the event, obviously. And I think it's like very clear that all of the rest of the people are like highly sought after like servers. So it honestly is kind of like out of your element. <laughs> Excellent. Cross that off the list. Servers are here. Got them all waiting in the back. Excellent. Whoa, treat her gently there, boys. Betty's life was tough enough. <laughs> hey, Paris. Rory, I clocked in. Cool. They gave me this card and it had my name on it, and I shoved it in the clock thing, and it made the punchy sound, and I'm officially on the job. Great. And I'm prepared, too. I was a little nervous last night about making small talk with coworkers, mm -hmm. so I went to the video store and rented Working Girl, and the first season of Just Shoot Me got a couple of Wendy Malick ball malts that have already come in handy. Very good. Welcome. Thanks, boss. I'm going to welcome the whole group here. No problem. Hello. You must be my servers. I'm Roy Gilmore. I'm running this little shindig. How are all of you today? Great. You all come highly recommended by Glenda, our catering manager, so I know you're all top-notch. Yeah. Super. Looks like a good group. <laughs> good group. Um, <sighs> you know, um, you should probably be standing over with the others. Oh, right. I'm one of them. Got it. Sorry. So, it's going to be hard work tonight. We have 100 people dining with us, but I want you to have fun too. Uh, we have your outfits on a rack over here. Your name should be on them. It's a good cause, so let's get changed and go do. Is it though? <laughs> working hard or hard working? <laughs> oh my, oh my. I love it. Oh my god. The how do you do fellow kids energy coming from Paris is like <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> when she literally is like, oh, I'm one of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Like, it's just so, so obvious. And I find it kind of endearing, but also like I would love to like know what an actual worker being confronted with Paris Geller in her rarest form would actually be, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> So we're gonna watch her like do her job. Very and, aggressively. Yeah, very aggressively, exactly. We gotta just go through this scene of a bunch of kids <laughs> dancing at Miss Patty's, which is the namesake of this episode. <laughs> Appetizers. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So, how was that? Mm, it was fine. Very good. I meant the transaction. I'd love a performance review. Come on, be my Dave Navarro. Um, you were fine. I'm gonna need more. It was T.S. Eliot who said criticism is as inevitable as breathing, and said that we should be none the worse for articulating what passes in our mind when we read a book, see a play, or, now I'm elaborating, pass a cheddar and olive ball. I need some feedback. Really? You offered it to me well, and it all seemed great, and I don't want to talk about this anymore. Good. Thank you. This has been a help. Welcome to Hollywood Cancer. <laughs> she is just so aggressive. I would probably be the same as that dude if yeah. <laughs> I would yeah. ask so many questions about like a food yeah. transaction. Like very taken aback. <laughs> He's just like, uh, no, no. So you're fine. <laughs> but I also have questions. I've never thought about this before, but as we were watching Lacey and Rory, like who is Lacey? How much experience does she have? She must probably be mad that this, you know, Emily Gilmore's random granddaughter is being brought in to run this event when she has no event planning experience. Seems like Lacey has a lot of it. So you know, true. She could be promoted to event planner. I feel like she might yeah. be worry. Yeah, Lacey is definitely one of the exploited workers we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh deserves more yes exactly you really think about it like she's like probably like probably like a fully grown adult with a like you know 
who like does yeah. this for a living and like <laughs> Rory's just like a 20 year old college dropout who is living in her yeah her parents full house which is a very specific type of college dropout I would say <laughs> right and I do think Rory's doing a good job but still I mean I'm sure an experienced event planner would be doing a better job yes exactly we're gonna kind of go into the two scenes that I feel like are the most pivotal like you know Paris having her like awakening after doing approximately one hour of low wage work (laughs) (laughs) and I wanted to say that maybe another person would approach this episode very theory heavy but I just do not have it in me to be a theory bro I never have I never will like I have read Marx and Engels 1848 pamphlet the communist manifesto thanks to my high school history teacher who forced us to read it (laughs) and I was a nerd so I actually read the whole thing and did my book report so I do feel like in the end I'm kind of glad that that happened because I do feel like it gave me a basic understanding of like you know Marx's thought and you know working class is a proletariat owning class is a bourgeoisie we're in constant conflict i get it i get it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i i just wanted to say like i'm not we're not gonna go like too hardcore and i'm like really sorry if that disappoints anyone out there who's listening but like i was not gonna spend my break from work reading marx i'm sorry not reading yeah they can make their own podcast (laughs) episode if they're mad about it (laughs) But anyway, that's my preface to us being like, okay, let's have to get all Marxist up in here. Also, Rory's plotline has come to a head. Like, it's all kind of happening all together. And she realizes that Shira Huntsberger, aka boyfriend's mom, who bitched her out, is at the fundraiser and didn't RSVP because of the audacity of rich people. And so it's when Rory rushes into the kitchen looking for support from Paris that this all starts to, you know, come to a head. It's okay, I'll take care of it. Here's the seating chart. Thanks. Hey, boss. It's interesting, you know? Karl Marx has come alive to me today. I never understood what he was yammering about before, and now it just seems so obviously wrong that those who control capital should make their fortunes off the labor of the working class. What's wrong with you? Shira Huntsberger is here, Logan's mom, and she showed up with no warning. No RSVP, no donation to the cause that I know of, just sashayed in, expecting everyone to fall at her feet. I hate that. I hate her. Hate. Strong, unadulterated, blind... Wow. You're always so Desmond Tutui, this is refreshing. I should tell her to leave. I should march up to her and tell her to grab those arrogance dripping, petulance oozing, surgically cosmeticized bims she brought along and hit the brakes. I bet they all have money too. Every one of those commodity fetishists. How can she expect a table? The tables are for the people who are polite enough to respond to an invitation in the proper manner. I bet you the Romanovs never RSVP'd either. They got theirs, capitalist scum. I hate her. I hate the rich. A hard rain is gonna fall, you know what I'm saying? I really hate her. They should die. I should probably give her a table. What? Well, we have a spare table. We kept it open in case of something like this. I should give it to her. But she doesn't deserve it. I know, but this is business. It's not personal. I should give her that table. Fine. Whatever you think. You're the boss. Hey, boss, how much are you being paid in this job of yours? (laughs) Amazing. Uh (laughs) Yeah, so... That's the most iconic scene in the episode, I feel like. (laughs) 
I just really want to know what Paris's parents do for a living because that would be very, I think, eye-opening, which is like, oh, wait, actually, fortunes are made on, you know, the backs of the laborers, but it's like her parents' fortune probably was too. So oh, totally. I just, I have questions about her childhood, I guess. <laughs> that will not be answered. Like, but I'll think about her absent a lot too. So like, it seems like she was like effectively raised by her nanny. Yes, that's for sure true. Definitely. I think she calls her nanny her best friend at some yes. point. Like her best and only friend. <laughs> sad. Yeah, no, she's definitely like the lonely rich girl trope, I feel like. Or, the, you know, the trope of like being, having your parents just be completely absent for sure. Which leans even more toward the idea that they would be owning class. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, they're like, you know, in charge of something clearly. <laughs> right, and it's like, you know, not even expected that you would spend time with your own kid. That's for, you know... <laughs> lower class people who you'll pay to you know to actually take care of your kid and spend time with her and make sure that she's like doing all right but you know they're they're too good for that to do that themselves one thing that i think we i talked about again in the brooke davis episode that i think is totally relevant here is like talking about like millennials and like the fact that as soon as you end up working you're immediately like this like class struggle like it's such a like i love it like i love that this keeps happening over and over again where it's just like characters finally being forced to work and then realizing that working is like you know trash and like i don't know it's just amazing and like ending up organizing or having a sort of awakening about class conflict and then of course she starts to like apply the fact that Rory is management to the situation and it's like wait how much are you getting paid like what's the difference here like (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure a lot yeah absolutely and i also feel like so i i did like you know wikipedia article communist manifesto because like you know it's been it's been a while it's been like a decade pretty wild that's true Uh, yeah i also wikipedia because i did not read it in history class i was not assigned it yeah i did not skip it oh of course of course The end of the Communist Manifesto calls for workers across the world to, like, take action and such, right? And so I feel like Paris is kind of heeding the call, you know? She's, like, you know, she's on the job, and she's immediately, like, let's figure out what's going on here. Like, let's figure out how much we're getting paid, figure out, you know, how much management's getting paid. Like... (laughs) Yeah, this would have been a great opportunity to like extend this into season six and have her, you know, working on campus and starting to organize, but that was not to be. Yes, she's suddenly just fine. (laughs) Yeah, so we're just gonna like forever love the Paris Geller of this episode, but I don't think that it has a lasting effect on her psyche. (laughs) I I feel like by the time we see her reaction when we get to the season seven episode, it's like kind of clear that she's not like, you know, totally throwing down for the people or anything. (laughs) Right. So now we're going to go forward to Rory realizing that Logan's dad is also in attendance. And obviously she has a much different relationship with dad who tore her to shreds at the internship. So um, she returns to the kitchen on the verge of a panic attack. And to be fair, I think that Paris is exactly the friend you would want in your corner. You have a panic attack because apparently she has a this lot of true. medicine. Paris, <laughs> 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 Break. You're white as a sheet. 
I'm having trouble breathing. You're having a panic attack. I think so. Don't worry. I have these all the time. What do I do? <laughs> well, it depends. There are different kinds. Does it feel like an elephant is sitting on your chest? No. Does your chest feel like an overinflated balloon with a slow leak? Uh, not really. Sharp needles intermittently poking into your left ventricle? I don't know from ventricles, but there, there is a needle thing. You need diazepam. 50. Now 100 milligrams. Look at my purse. No, wait. I don't want any diazepam. Well, what do you want? Fluoxetine? Protriptyline? I have others floating around the bottom of my purse. I have no idea what they are, but just popping a few can't hurt. Pretty hot grab bag. <laughs> These people. Those people. They didn't even RSVP. That's not right. This is for our boys. They need to make a donation. Tough night for you, huh? Shira's one thing. I can deal with her, but Mitchum? I, I can't see him. I can't face him. It's too much. After what he did, what he said to me. What did he say to you? If it weren't for him, I wouldn't have... You wouldn't have what? Rory? Nothing. Nothing. He's just... They're just not the nicest people. Well, the rich never are. They don't have to be. When you control <laughs> the means of production, it reduces the incentive to humanize workers. The capitalist system... You know, I haven't eaten all day. I, I think I should eat. That's my problem. Sure, boss. Go eat. It's probably somewhere else where you eat, right? Special room. <laughs> So that is sadly the end of Marx's Paris Geller. The rise of the fall. Yeah. But yeah, she's really getting in there. Like she's like, she's talking about how like, you know, literally like it just comes to mind like Amazon, like the, not having the incentive to, you know, humanize workers, like dehumanizing workers. Like it's just gotten worse since this episode was made, you know, with like the way that like literally everything works off of an app in an Amazon warehouse, like the dystopian shit like that has just gotten to a level that like i just feel like that statement about not humanizing workers is like more true than ever before absolutely and then that also fits into like rory's realization of oh shit the entire reason why i dropped out of yale is because of mitchum but you know if he had actually interacted with more of the you know the lower workers around him he would realize how out you know he has such an outsized impact on rory's opinion of herself and you know her future career path and like i genuinely don't think he was trying to crush her spirits forever i think he was trying he thought he was giving her like somewhat helpful advice mm -hmm. to you know maybe try something new or learn what you can improve but if he had like thought of her more as a person with goals and you know just understood like how much he as a person meant to her not just the Hunsberger name or working at a newspaper I think he maybe could have like given her different advice or like you know just made it a little bit more palatable for her totally yeah agreed um, hey I mean good if R Rory's realizing that she dropped out of Yale for stupid reasons and yeah, should be going back. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, you know, Jess Mariano ends up coming in to help her make those realizations, which you know, <laughs> Jess Mariano will have my heart forever. Honestly, it, the the take that I've seen a lot from people who are like, you know, literati shippers is like, Jess is too good for Rory by the end. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean that I, I absolutely agree with yeah. based on the revival. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, based on the, on the revival <laughs> specifically, which we will definitely get to because we can't not talk some shit. But yeah so i also especially like when paris is like realizing that there would be like a special room where the like management gets to take their break you know like that whole <laughs> thing at the end so funny to me also the fact that paris is on her break during this whole interaction is like she should get more break time and she was helping a manager like get their shit 
together during her break like <laughs> well she's like also alternating between trying to be a good friend and trying to learn more about this like the working conditions that she's in within the <laughs> first day that she's there <laughs> yeah she's like ready to salt like right now it's amazing i wish she had done that instead of what i don't even remember what she did in the in the revival like she's not a huge part of it you remember what she ends up doing she um, she was in she's a fertility UIN, right yeah right because okay. remember Lorelai goes to her in the like weirdest IVF oh, storyline right. ever right I f- I have not rewatched the revival because like you know obvious reasons <laughs> it sucks it the obvious reasons. <laughs> so I didn't even remember but yes okay so she, yeah she, I mean like, that's better than some of the ways she could have ended up I would say yeah I was mostly just bummed that she and Doyle ended up not together spoilers for the revival yeah I really it, like but... Doyle I think that they have a cute little partnership yeah, yeah. It was disappointing. But um, anyway, to uh, sort of wrap up that, so in addition to the fact that Harris has discovered Mark, Richard discovers that Mitchum and Shira were mean to Rory during a really fun bathroom conversation with Mitchum. Emily Gosh, then... that girl! Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Emily then rips Shira to shreds. So that's always a fun time. Hi, Vinny! Oh, that's always a fun time. She really... That's like one of the best takedowns on the show, for sure. Oh, easily. That was the roast we all needed. <laughs> it is a bummer, though, that she calls out Shira's weight when she's like, oh, your weight goes up and down 30 pounds every month, three months or something. I was like, we don't need to comment on that. Like, why does there always have to be, like, something about someone's weight? Like, why? <laughs> why? But yeah. So anyone have any last thoughts about that? I mean, I just, I wish there was more Marxist Paraskeller for us to play with, but there just is only so much. <laughs> Yeah, I just really wish it had been continued, especially because there were like those, you know, very, very basic seeds in season five of the grad students unionizing. That could be something that could have been folded into the season of, you know, was that successful? Was that not? How is is Paris going to like help with that fight? Or, you know, she could work within the union or something like that. But sadly, it was not to be. Not to be. Well, the next thing I wanted us to talk about is the final sort of political moment that we get which is in the i have barely watched season seven so i mean i'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast you know this but like the sherman paladinos did not return for season seven of gilmore girls due to some sort of contract fight right i think it's always been very unclear why they left but yeah i think from my memory i think maybe they wanted more writers i think it was like amy and dan Sharon Palladino had been writing and directing and doing a ton on the show for all six seasons and they wanted I think more writers for season seven so that they could step back a little bit and not Mm -hmm. be working you know so many hours for 10 months of the year and I think the CW wouldn't give that to them so things happened and they ended up leaving for season seven and David Rosenthal is the showrunner. Yeah I feel like the CW doesn't do shit for their shows after a certain amount of years like I feel like you're all that they're all about their shows for the first couple of seasons and then the promo slowly drops off just from like watching a lot of cw shows now like it just seems to be the way it goes so i'm not surprised that it was like late in the show they weren't able to get that and also interestingly i'm not sure how much this would make a difference but the they were all it was the wb up until up through season six and then they transit the wb transitioned to the cw right so i'm sure there were different network heads and all of that so yep. probably the negotiations were different and gilmore Ross has always been a weird show to promote because if you watch the promos it's like 
there's so many episodes where not that much happens and the promos are so weird because they have to make it look exciting so i just wonder if the cw was like we are not going to spend extra money on this show so you can hire more writers when it's you know it's kind of on its last legs anyway you know good riddance yeah which is really a bummer yeah no it was a huge bummer because I think my opinion is that the revival it was way too much, and I think we talked about this before, way too much what Amy Sherman Palladino wanted season seven to be. Mm-hmm. Like, just the conflict that Rory has feels like a conflict that a 22-year-old would have, and then, like, a 34-year-old is having it, and it's like, or whatever it was, a 32-year-old, whatever the math was, it just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that. We were 22, right? It was, like, right after we graduated college. I remember being like, right. huh, I relate to Rory right now. And it's like, I shouldn't be relating to this character who's 10 years older than me and should right. be in a very different life space. So, <laughs> like, that that right there shows you the flaws. But season seven did happen. And, you know, it's not the best season by at all. Sure is not. <laughs> it's definitely the worst season. But we did get this one moment of getting to have a little bit more political journalist Rory, which I guess sort of foreshadows where we leave Rory at the end of season seven, going to follow, Ob- it was her going to follow Obama's primary run, right? That was the, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it would have been like yeah. 2007. And yeah. I looked up what the outlet was. It just said, I could just find like an online magazine. So I'm not sure where she was actually hired. So I feel like this is sort of the like the prelude to that. So we're just going to watch this one clip from an episode where Rory has a parent's weekend edition of the Yale Daily News to put out because this is the point when she is the editor-in-chief of the Yale Daily News. But she plans to get lunch of her parents who have decided to come to Parents Weekend because, you know, for some reason, they decided to put Chris and R- Lorelai together for a prolonged period of time. I will say I understand that impulse. I didn't like how it actually happened, but yes, there's, yeah. you know, because I always hated Christopher, but I do understand that there, Lorelai feels like there's unfinished business there and she did have to actually give it a try. Even though I hated watching every second of it, I understood, <laughs> like, <laughs> the writer's motivation there. Yeah, no, it's not like it was some random new dude or anything that they threw in there. Like, it was somebody she had right. history with, and, like, the was it, like, Max with. is back. Oh, my God. Yeah, that <laughs> The plot twist. Fucking Max. <laughs> or Alex, that guy in season three, they just forgot about. Oh, they totally episodes. did. Honestly, Alex is better than fucking Jason. The worst. I hate yeah. him. Oh, my God. I found some... I had a friend who like likes him and I'm like you're the first person I've ever met <laughs> who likes that character <laughs> he just is a weirdo I got yeah. I got nothing from him anyway as I was saying Rory and her parents are planning to get lunch then uh, they end up inviting the entire newspaper crew to come to lunch with them to this like fancy pants restaurant because they're like trying to like show that they can do the same thing that I guess like her grandparents do because apparently the grandparents always come for parents weekend which is like that totally is something that would happen and then like, of course Lorelai all like upset about it so they need to take them out to lunch and at this lunch they're interrupted by a political action happening on campus and so that is our final political moment see chris has his name tag in the middle like he's superman yes and they like I call think they it that, that i think yeah they call it like yeah. superman i'd love a creme brulee i've never had creme brulee i could do with a cognac i wouldn't say no to a digestif creme brulee for me and a cognac you know what i think we'd like to get creme brulee and cognac all around sorry parents mm-hmm. why sorry Sorry, this lunch is weird. No. Sorry. Okay, this lunch is weird. 
Who are those lame parents of your? Dad is trying kind of hard. Yeah, I think any minute he's going to start juggling plates. And hanging spoons off his nose. Yeah, yeah, but it's sweet. So seriously, whenever you guys get a three-day weekend, you should totally come up. Can we rent skis there? Sure, I can lend you a pair. We'll have you jump in Mogul's Dental Black Diamond in no time, Raj. I guess it's good that I experienced a little bit of lame parenting. I mean, after all, it's part of the quintessential college experience, isn't it? I guess. And it's great that you got to meet the whole gang before a big ski vacation together. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, good or uh-oh, bad? I guess there isn't really an uh-oh, good, is there? Um, listen up, guys. Uh, a bunch of students that were protesting the war took over President Stewart's office. It looks like we're going to have to rework the whole edition. Why can't the news stop while we're eating? I know. It's so impolite. I just got a text with a photo. Looks like they're wearing George Bush masks. And Are those Condoleezza Rice masks? They make Condoleezza masks? <laughs> We've got to get on this, everybody. Um, so you guys, I'm sorry. It looks like it's we okay, have to... Okay, go. Duty calls. Okay. Sheila, get Keith on the phone and see if you can get him down there. Actually, get Samantha down there, too. I want so many photos of this thing, I can make a flip book. Bill and AK, get back to the office so you can proof the stories we're emailing it in. Everyone else here with me. But what about the creme brulee? And our cognac? I have yet to taste the sweet nectar of creme brulee. This is going to be our front page. Front page? Really? I think the front page is fine as it is. Paris. Come on, we all know these rabble-rousers are just looking for attention. Why indulge them? Let's go. I want to, I want to report this story. <laughs> I just want to do it after I eat my creme brulee. I mean, what if tonight I get hit by lightning and die a creme brulee virgin? A creme brulee? Virgin? You know oh. what? Enough. This is a major political protest. It's a big story, and it's going to go on our front page. Now get your junk creme brulee craving asses out of these chairs, and let's get to work. Okay, Damn. besides the lead, I'm going to need some color. What's going on behind the mask? That kind of thing. Joni, you want to take a crack at that? I'm a little tipsy. Okay, is there anyone here who's not a little tipsy? Thanks for lunch, Dad. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Lunch was Thanks great. Great meeting you. Man, we'll see you later. So yeah, we got to see real Rory in like editor-in-chief rapid response mode. Yeah, and I think that that proved, again, like I was saying, that Paris's Marxist awakening did not stick. She literally called know, people protesting the war rabble-rousers. Like, come on, where's and they the could spirit? Have easily given that, I'm sorry, they could have easily given that line to someone else. Like, it didn't have to be Paris. That was clearly a character choice, and they just forgot about Well, was it one of week? her articles that were on the, was on the first page? Yes. That's what I always thought. Yeah. That. Yes. And, like, I know that, like, that's clearly her motivation, and, like, it's her narcissism above all that's, like, at play here, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> narcissism like... front and center. Yeah. But it's also, like, couldn't that just go on the next day's front page? It's not like it'll never run. Yeah, exactly. And I just kind of like... I liked Rory in that moment. Like, I like that she's, like, no, this is an important political moment. Like it, it, like, it needs to be on our front page. Like, that's totally, like, the right choice. And, you know, if you actually want to be a journalist, it's kind of, like, the only news seems to be pretty serious. Yeah, and you have to be fluid with decisions. Yeah, like, you gotta, like, you're actually, you're actually gonna cover yeah. breaking news, yeah. Yeah, like, she's covering breaking news, she has no patience for the, the other editors who are like, mm, but I want to have my dessert first. <laughs> my currently not. This is important, we're moving now, by dad. Like, she's, she's just very no-nonsense about it, and I appreciate it. But I also feel like, oh, go for in a way that's, like, a little bit warmer than Paris, because we see her mm. last season of, like, she was almost, like, dictator of the newspaper. She was writing so many things personally, editing, yep. editing everything by herself. Yeah. But I feel like, I guess there's just more of a community atmosphere a little bit to what Rory wants to do. It's like, all right, we're all going to do this together. You're all with me. And, you know, I just think she's a little bit better of a leader than Paris. 
That's totally. true, but she was also hardly going to leave the group having dinner or lunch with her parents while she was left working. Yeah, but she wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go... I'm going to go report on this by myself. Whereas maybe Paris would be like, Oh, this is like a good story. I could get that front page byline. Right. Oh, totally. And then I just love the like early 2000s politics of it all. Like the fact that it's a, an anti-war protest, like totally. And then like B, the fact that they have like George Bush and Condoleezza Rice masks. Is like... <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Definitely a different time of college protests in the Obama years when we went to college, right. which had their own level of protest. I mean, if you think about all of the, uh, anti-racist protests that were happening like at their peak while we were in college mm-hmm. black lives matter started while we were in college like just a completely different political landscape and so i do always appreciate seeing these like early 2000s like political moments where it's like the politics that we just grew up with in the background before i was politically aware like getting to see like what kids were doing back then always makes me happy we're mm-hmm. also we're doing a degrassi episode as our next episode after this one so the post 9 11 politics are a little bit of a theme this season for us <laughs> love it <laughs> so yeah i guess that really is like rory's potential like like something that you said laura when we were getting ready for this that i think we should end the episode on is the fact that rory had potential as a political reporter and it just doesn't net out like it just like she doesn't end up being a great political reporter we don't necessarily learn too much about what actually happened on the obama campaign trail i mean clearly she did that but clearly it didn't lead to anything like the next thing didn't end up being as great as that might have suggested it would be and it doesn't seem like she even tried to stay in politics and i think that was probably a function of amy sherman paladino literally not watching season seven (laughs) (laughs) i think (laughs) i mean someone probably told her the you know the broad brushstrokes of what happened but i mean so a they got very lucky that obama then wins the presidency so you know rory could obviously continue reporting through that like i think well that's what i was so excited about before the revival where you know obviously season seven ended with her you know being a reporter on his campaign trail and then later after the show ended he won you know two terms and i was like oh this could mirror rory's success and then the revival came and was like no (laughs) it's the opposite (laughs) yeah i don't remember if i had like thoughts of what i thought rory would be doing i don't know if i was like oh she'll be a political reporter but you know (laughs) she does the seeds were definitely there i think you know on the campaign trail you basically just follow a candidate and then report on their you know big speeches and stuff so that's not necessarily like super differentiating in terms of like a certain cause she would want to be reporting on or whatever but you know it would definitely be a great way to get experience and get to know people and she's talked since maybe even season one of wanting to be a foreign correspondent and you know that's obviously like she wants to be christiane amanpour who is a broadcast journalist and that's different from print but you know she could definitely also have gone abroad and you know done reporting there for i don't know what her online magazine was but she would have made connections on the campaign trail she must know people via logan even though they weren't together at that point like right i just think there were a lot of possibilities she could have made connections she could have you know started doing the foreign correspondent thing there were definitely chances that she had i do think there's an open question of whether or not rory's a good journalist yeah, I'm making, I'm making a pained face. <laughs> 
unfortunately i want it and that's the thing like i think growing up with her like you know want like writing for the school newspaper at chilton like we all just like wanted her and like her christian um poor dreams we all just like wanted her to like succeed and then like <laughs> asp was just like nah she sucks at journalism <laughs> like <laughs> i mean even in season is that season five when she does that music downloading storyline, which she could have done, you know, the janitors unionizing just things that would have been much more interesting. Even in that Life and Death Brigade episode when she's undercover, but she's doing a really bad job of it. She's not blending in. She's just like has right. her notebook out and is asking people questions like, so you're not using the letter E? Like she's just not trying to be an unobtrusive observer at all. But we do see her, I mean, I feel like when we see her as editor, she's, she's good at that and she's good at, you know, organizing people and that's definitely also a career path that's separate from being a writer and a reporter so true i think she has skills i am just very disappointed that in the revival she ends up basically not not doing much of anything and asp is just like oh because millennials they don't really care about things it's like it's just it's no. deeply upsetting to it's me. just a very bad it's not a good portrayal of millennials and i'm not mean it like oh every portrayal of millennials should be like positive but like it's just not really accurate <laughs> like i feel like like i feel like yeah. i know so many people who like work their fucking asses off like and i don't know honestly one thing is that she wouldn't have any student loans right like i don't know like don't she's so. definitely like as a millennial among the more privileged set like um, the average millennial has a shit ton of fucking student debt um, uh, especially one that went to school like yale so yeah i don't know i just i have so many sad thoughts about the revival i like the amount of hope and joy and excitement i had for that versus what we got i like i just remember sitting like it was like right after we graduated it was 2016 in like november right came out over mm -hmm. thanksgiving i remember that yeah. me and my mom and sister like sat down to watch on the black friday and we were all excited and you know back this was back when my parents were still together and my dad kept on like coming in and at first we were all like Whoa, this is so fun and then like by the end he was like how's it going and we were like not nah, not good it's not going good it's it's not good because <laughs> it was just so disappointing to exactly. see someone that i looked up to so much as like a 10 year old just not not doing that much with herself but not trying to and just like having no motivation and i don't know i just feel like she was very out of character and it, it makes me sad yeah like they only took all the worst parts of her character and like ran with those you know like her still cheating with logan and like like you know like it's just like girl and forgetting about her boyfriend yeah like poor man i don't even remember what his name was but <laughs> yes. his name is paul oh okay poor paul <laughs> Yeah, and then also just went off on weird tangents that I didn't understand why she thought that that was what we wanted. Like, like the way too long Sutton Foster performance, which, like, fine. <laughs> I do love that. But, like, that plus the fact that they also had that, like, weird, like, you, you know, Lorelai going to eat, pray, love her way up the mountain yes. or whatever. And they also really had the Life and Death Brigade boys doing this, like, unnecessary, like, long scene. I was just like, I don't want this. Where is Jess? Where is Suki? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's such a bummer about melissa mccarthy and yeah. i'm like honestly i'm upset about rory but i think i'm more upset about lorelei's storyline because she just it's a good example of arrested development of like 
there are so many storylines that could have been like a couple of years out from season seven, but it makes no sense for them to be 10 years out. It's like, okay, Luke and Lorelai never got married, but for no good reason. Yeah. And they want to have a baby now. Well, it's just, you know, why haven't they talked about that in the past? And then Luke, like not understanding what a surrogate is. And he like thinks he has to actually sleep with a surrogate. It's just like, Luke is not that dumb. And then when she decides she's going to go on her wild hiking trip, which is just so out of character for her. Like I would buy if she read wild and then was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do right. a similar kind of yep. tour, you know, but her version of that could be like going on a road trip and going to diners throughout the country or just something that actually fit with anything we've ever seen Lorelai do. She does not like to exercise. She would not be into a long hiking trip. Like, yeah, you know, and then she doesn't even go on it. And I, I like the community aspect of her just sitting around the campfire with all those new people, but like they could have easily done that in a way that felt more true to her character. So I just feel like she was really doing very little for 10 years and has not that much to show for it. And that's just not, it's weird coming from someone who was so settled and, you know, she doesn't even really have the excuse Rory did of like, oh, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do with her life or where she wanted her to career her career to go. It's like, she had all of these things already and then the revival opens and it's like nothing there's really very little that's new. Yeah, no, totally. Nice takedown of the revival. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really disappointing. And if, if you're a revival apologist, I don't know what to tell you. But then the last fucking three words being I'm pregnant mom will forever make me mad. I'm sorry. No. Like, it's like if she hadn't hyped up the last three words so much, I wouldn't be mad. But she hyped them up way too much. <laughs> the not groundbreaking. Well, <laughs> apparently people had theories i guess going back to the original series because she had talked about the final four words some people thought they might be like i'm pregnant me too which Ooh, could have been yeah. interesting yes but yeah i just i don't think it's like interesting at all for rory to be surprised pregnant i don't even think it works of like history repeats itself because getting pregnant at 32 is very very different from getting pregnant yes. at 16 yes. yeah definitely. Um, there's no lesson to be learned there it's just it's it's disappointing and i think there are ways that rory was making similar mistakes to lorelei but i think that i don't know i just think it's not interesting 16 years later yeah no exactly i think a lot of exactly i feel like so many of the problems were that like AFP for some reason couldn't actually see what like she couldn't let what she wanted happen and then see where they would be at that age it's like she was just like oh well this is the story I thought of you know like it just felt like she tried to fit things that didn't fit into like the timeline um which is like a problem on like multiple shows that I like so I don't know to timeline problems seem to be a thing <laughs> like I think I would have enjoyed the revival a lot more if it had been like a year later or yep. two years later yep exactly it would have made way more sense i mean at least paris seems to be doing fine again like we said we were sad about the doyle breakup she's a mom and an OBGYN, i guess so i mean i'm glad that she's successful but like it doesn't feel like overall even though there were little bits of political moments in gilmore girls obviously asp didn't deliver the like you know what we could have there are a lot of missed opportunities <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Marxist Paris Geller plus our other political highlights from Gilmore Girls. I will forever find this to be my comfort show. It's one of those things where like all early
early 2000s media has either like, like there's always something problematic that you didn't realize was there and i feel like the thing that has become the most true in this show is like obviously a how white it is although it is a small town in connecticut so i can buy it and then b like just the fat the fat shaming is is uh, out of control and unfortunately yeah. it persisted in the revival which i think you could have said oh it was the times but then it persisted in the revival and it was like oh no it's just her <laughs> oh yeah that scene where they're at the pool and they're just like gasping in everyone's bodies yeah, like how yeah. horrible can you get it's pretty bad <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is a hard one for us to conclude in a way that feels positive and, and happy. You should not be like Paris. And when you have your Marxist awakening, you should go places with it. Yeah. <laughs> and we will put in the show notes places you could go. How about that? There you go. <laughs> All right. So I think that's going to be the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Jessica and Laura, for joining me. Thanks Thank for, having for having me. Us. Very exciting. Yes. So we'll see y'all next time. All power to the working class. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Leftist Teen Drama. Follow us on social media for updates. Links to our Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok are in the show notes along with links to suggested additional reading on the topics discussed. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Solidarity forever, free Palestine, and abolish the PIC. Signing off, Maria. Maria.